few years back, I was downloading Google Chrome on my computer, my laptop at home, and I got a virus. You ever gotten a virus? And man, I tried, 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 tried. I could not get rid of that thing. Finally, I had to take it into somebody to get rid of it. But you know, it affected performance. Every time I pulled my computer up, that thing shot in there. It had something that was impacting my computer's work. Well, much as my computer was infected by a virus, our faith can be infected by doubt. And we're going to see that. A person who is a, a member of the Faith Hall of Fame struggling with doubt. So I want to talk about that. When our faith is infected by doubt, what do we do? What happens? So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open that to Genesis chapter 20, uh, we're going to go through this whole chapter, and we're going to wrestle with that very question, one, what happens when our faith is infected by doubt? Now, as you're turning there, I'll just give you the overview of Genesis. God has created the world, and uh, humanity pushes back. They, they want to go their own way. They want to do their own thing, and there are consequences for that, and we see that. That's the story of Genesis 1 to 11. In uh, Genesis 12, God steps in and He's going to show Himself through a nation, a people. He's going to start with a guy named Abraham. But Abraham is going to have to learn to quit trusting in himself and trust in God. So he calls Abraham and his wife Sarah to go to a new country, a new place they don't know. And, and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and so they leave. But what they don't have is they don't have a child. They don't have a biological child of their own. And it, it's 23 years they still haven't gotten a child, and they've messed up. They've gone with a servant, conceived a child, uh, Abraham, with um, Hagar, and they've created uh, Ishmael, and so he's 13 years old. And, and so they're, they're living by faith. In some, one sense, they've been great people of faith. They've left what they don't. They've trusted God. And the other scene, we, we've seen doubts. And we're going to see Abraham living in doubt again today even though he's a man of faith. So here we go. Uh, Genesis 20, it says, Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. Now, what has just happened is Sodom and Gomorrah has been judged. They, they became so wicked, and, and Abraham interceded for 50 people, for 40 people, but in the end, there, God, justice could not deal with the sin anymore, and he brought judgment on it. And, and that's what Abraham has seen. And so he's traveling from there to a foreign land, and he comes into a new place, and here's what it says in verse 2. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. We're going to find out Abraham so fears this godless people that they'll see his attractive wife, and they'll kill him to take her. So he says, I'm going to play you off as my sister. And so the king wants your sister. He brings him, her into his court. Now, this is not the first time Abraham has dealt with this. Back in Genesis 12, he left the promised land because of a famine. And as he went into Egypt... In Genesis 12, 11 through 13, here's what it says. It came about when he came near to Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know that you're a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. 
Please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you that I may live on account of you. So what he's saying is, yeah, God's called me. Yeah, I've left what I've known and I've chosen land. And I, I, but, but I don't think he can pull off this going into a foreign land and beautiful wife thing. So I better take things into my own hands. And I say to my wife, hey, 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 let's play you off as my sister. Is that a man of faith? Yeah, kind of. But faith infected with what? Doubt. I don't think you can handle this. Now, God handled that situation in Egypt. Now they're in the land again, and I don't think he can do it. So, so let's play you off as my sister. Well, the king takes, takes beautiful woman. What happens? Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he, he being able here, not say himself to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hand, I've done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart that you have done this, and that I also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he's a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Bibelach gets message. God shows up and said, man, you, you're traveling the wrong way. Bibelach said, hey, I'm clean. Okay. God says, you need to move on this and move on it quickly. So that's what he does. So Abimelech rose early in the morning. He doesn't wait. He gets this message at night, and first thing in the morning, we're moving. He's not going to trifle with God. He's not going to fool with God. God has spoken. I'm going to do something. This is a pagan king. But somewhere, somehow, he has got the fear of God. He called his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. You bet they are. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done this to done, you have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you've done this thing? Here's Abraham's answer. Because I thought, surely there's no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Abimelech said, What's the deal? You lied to me. I mean, it almost cost me my life and the, the nation. What gifts? And Abraham said, you know, man, I saw your people, and I knew you didn't believe in God, and I, I didn't trust, and I, I thought I better take things into my own hands. Now, lest we're too hard on Abraham, back in Sodom and Gomorrah, two angels looking like men came into town. Abraham's nephew Lot brought them into his house, and the men of the city came out and said, 
bring them out that we can have relations with them. Abraham has seen what happens when a people divorce themselves from God. They live for themselves and they'll take what they want, whatever they want. And, and he was afraid. That, that, that's what he had just seen. And even though he had seen God provide for him once in Egypt, that meant that that was too much. This circumstance, apparently, Abraham thought was too much for God, so I'd better take things into my own hands. That's doubt. Oh, I believe God. I believe God's a creator. I believe it's monsoon and mons, moon and sun and stars and, and all this stuff. But we don't believe this circumstance. He can handle This circumstance is beyond God. So we begin to doubt. We begin to take things into our own hand. We believe it's too much for God. So I'm wondering, is there a circumstance? Are there circumstances in your life where you think, this is too much for God? I can't handle it. It's consuming you. And you, man, it, you, I mean, you doubt. I don't think God can pull it off. About three, four weeks ago, I'm with a group of pastors on the north side, and there's this other group that meets, and they've invited me to it. Come up, you want to come up to Omaha? Sure. So it was about three weeks ago on a Friday, and on this particular Friday, a group of 30 pastors were meeting with none other than Senator Ben Sass. Now, only in a low population state, low population state like Nebraska can get a U.S. senator meeting with 30 pastors. Um, and Sass was really good. And he said, I don't want to talk politics today. I I just want to talk, make some observations about our culture. Uh, He said, I'm a historian. I'm a trained historian. And I think there's something truly unique going on in our culture. Now, every culture thinks it is. But he said, I think there's something truly unique going on in our culture this day. And it's very troubling. He said, for the first time in the history of the United States, 2016, 2017, 2018, for the first time in history, the life expectancy in this country has gone down three years in a row. It's never happened. It happened, and he said, in 62 and 63, there was a flu epidemic, and it carried into the next year. He said, we don't take statistics long enough, but um, I think if we had taken statistics statistics all the way back, it it may have been decreased three years in a row during the Civil War. It's probably when it would have historians guess. But here we are. Our economy is booming. Our technology is going and the average life expectancy is going down. We're the only country in the industrialized world that that's happening, in which this is happening. He said, why is that? Well, he said, it's not, not on the infant side. Our, our treatment of infant and infant mortality is getting better. And it's not on, on the, the age side. He said, you know, the, the, the 80 and up, the, the, the cancers and the heart disease, we're getting better at treating at that. But he said, where we're losing it is in the 25 to 45-year-old age group. Opioids, suicide, and liver disease because of alcohol. And he said, what I think is happening is, when I was born in 1972, the average uh, stay in a job was 29 years. Now, because technology is turning over so fast, the average stay in a job is 4.2 years. He said in the next decade, they estimate that automation will replace 60% of the tasks that are being done. And people are going to be asked at 25 and 35 and 45 and 50 to retrain. And they can't handle the stress. And he wanted to, went on to argue that, that, that 
they don't have the relational capital, they don't have the community support, they don't have the family structure in place, and this transition, they, they don't. And so they, they slip into opioids, they slip into suicide, they slip into alcoholism. And we're losing it. I, and I only share that to say, I think as a nation, circumstances are overwhelming us. And we're seeing things, and we just think, we can't handle that. And then I begin to read, and that is evoke curiosity in me, uh, this um, anxiety and depression is, is, is pandemic in our culture. People are overwhelmed. And we need to know that the God, whatever the circumstance is, is bigger than we have. And so doubt is, is it's, it's pervasive. And so I think we need to be honest as, as Christians. Where are we in, in, in doubt in our faith? If we're honest, we're, we all deal with it to a degree. So what I want to suggest to you is we will trust someone as much as we know them. So that's why we beg you to, to get into the Bible and, and to read and pray that you can know God. You will trust someone as much as you know Him, and that is true with God. So if you're not reading your Bible, there's a couple of bookmarks out there. The North Point Reading Plan you, starts in, in uh, Matthew and it starts in Romans and you work your way through. If you've got your own reading plan, go for it. But do you know this God? Because we're going to have to know Him to believe He's stronger and bigger than whatever our circumstances is. Maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a financial issue, maybe whatever. And, you know, if, if Abraham, who is in the faith hall of fame, can struggle with doubt, so can you and so can I. And there's a God who grows our faith like he did with Abraham to get him there. But it's not perfect. It's not all there. So are we developing our relationship with God? Second thing I'd say to parents is, are you spending time with your kids or are you so busy living life in the fast lane, going to this and that? You know, values and faith, it's, it's not taught, it's caught. It's in a relationship, it's in spending time. We're going crazy with events and sports and things and that and, and do we have time to pass on our values? Because our kids are going to be hit with this job turnover, 4.2 years, whatever it is. And are they going to have the trust in God in place? Or are they going to be overwhelmed by this? Are we building faith in the midst of our doubt? Well, Abraham has been, he's been confronted. I mean, he, he, his doubt is, has, has affected this, this pagan king. And, and so he's, Admit it, I, I didn't think there was any fear of God in this place. But verse 12 then, he's going to kind of go in a technicality. He says, besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So technically she is my sister. Oh, Ab- Abraham, come on. You lied. Just come out and admit it. You're going to try and waltz around this. No, man, you lied about who she is. Let's not pretend before people and God where we are. Uh, verse 13. And it came about when God caused me to wander from her house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he's my brother. So Abraham said, this is going to be standard operating procedure. When we go to some foreign place, you say, I'm your brother, so, so, so God can keep you safe. That's kind of the status quo. I'm going to live in doubt. We're going to, we're going to lie. We're going to misrepresent because we don't think God is capable 
of this circumstance. If nothing else, the Bible is honest, isn't it? It doesn't paint these perfect people. We think of Abraham, the father of faith. We can read about him in Hebrews 11, the great things he did. And and that's all true. But man, it's a process. And I'm in process. And I'm guessing you are too. So what about this doubt that we're working through? What what does God do? Well, uh, here we go. Verses 14 to 16. Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle settle wherever you please. To Sarah he said, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. That's about 167 years wages. Behold, it's your vindication because all who are with you and before all men you are cleared. So so what does God do with Abraham's doubt? What does God do with Abraham's failure? Well, he shows himself strong. Then he, he redeems the situation. So we're asking, what happens when our faith is infected by doubt? What happens when our faith is imperfect because it's infected by doubt? God works for his glory despite our doubt. God works for our for his glory despite our doubt. Our, our doubt doesn't thwart the ultimate plans of God. And yet, we want to be people who are growing in our faith, and we realize we're all in process, and, 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 and God is getting us there. Well, well, again, God is not done with Abraham. He's going to bring Abraham back into this picture to show he can still use him. Verses 17 and 18, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. God could have done this on his own, but he is still using Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to call you to a step of faith. I want you to pray for this nation, this this household, because their, their wombs are closed. And because Abraham prayed in faith, their wombs were open. Now, I, I think there's a certain irony here. Abraham and Sarah have been praying for 23 years to have a child. They haven't so far. They will, but they haven't. And he hasn't prayed in the moment, and the wombs of a foreign nation are open. Sometimes we can't figure God out. Sometimes God is a mystery, and he's beyond us. Explain that to me, Pastor. I can't. I can't. But what I can't explain is God is not done with Abraham. He is still using him. He is still working through him. And you know, if we take Abraham, the man of God, the father of faith, and Abimelech, the pagan king, who looks better in this? I got to say, Abimelech does. This pagan guy. And yet God's not done with Abraham. And God's not done with you, and he's not done with me. He's still working through us. In uh, the spring of 84, 1984, I was finishing up my graduate degree, and God called me to uh, maybe one of the biggest steps of faith I've had. And I was wanting to go on staff with Campus Crusade, but my school debt was too high, and we just decided I, I needed to take a job and save some money, and I'd pay down my debt. And in fact, uh, before spring break, I began to interview, and I had two office visits set up for after spring break, one with IBM and one with Arthur Anderson, and looking at possible jobs, what I could do. And, and the Sunday, at the end of spring break, we're going to start classes that Monday, 
uh, an acquaintance of mine says, hey, I want you to come over. And he said, Andy, I've got a friend, friend, who's got $1,800 for you to bring your debt down. I said, $6,800, I need to get to $5,000 so you can go on staff with Campus Crusade. And, and this guy was going on staff himself. It was, I knew it was his money, but it was his friend. Uh, he had been co-offing, and he had saved some money, and God had put it on his heart to do that. So, okay. So I applied. I got accepted. I pushed my um, finishing my degree back to the fall of 84, and that summer I went to training. And uh, you have to raise support with Campus Crusade, so I did all my training. And we're, we're finished, and, and we're coming back. And, and I needed to raise $1,800 a month in support, and I needed I had about 400 a month. And they told us the average donor gave $25 a month, and you had to make one in six calls. So, so all that to say, I, I had to make about, um, if statistics held up, I would have to make about 360 calls, and I had a list of 40 contacts. And I'm driving back in July of 84 from Fort Collins, Colorado to Dallas, Texas. It's about a 14-hour trip with stops, thinking, what did I do? This is really stupid. What, what, what was I thinking. And you know what I thought? Here's what I thought. Well, you know, I'm 23 years old. I had a great summer. I had a great experience. Um, if you had the choice in the summer, would you rather live in Fort Collins, Colorado or College Station, Texas? You'd take Fort Collins, Colorado every time. You don't want to be in South Texas in the summer. So I thought, well, I had a great experience. This is never going to work. This was a dumb idea. But hey, I'll give it a try when I get back. And you know, I got back and people were saying, man, what a great, great step of faith. Man, I really admire your faith. And I thought, if only you knew what I'm thinking right now. I'm thinking I was an idiot. I got suckered into this thing. But I got to follow through. I got to give it a shot. It'll never work. I'll try it for a year, and then I'll go work for IBM or Arthur Anderson, whoever I'll work for. In spite of my doubt, God raised my support, and I had 15 great years well, man, Andy, because you were such a great man of faith, ah, wrong. No, it wasn't. God worked in spite of me. I was chalked through with doubt. That faith step was chalked through with doubt. This is dumb. This will never work. The gracious God worked in spite of my doubt. And so if you are a man or woman who's living with doubt right now, join the human race. We're called to faith. Without faith, it's impossible to believes God. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In front of the book of Hebrews. Those statements are true, but God is gracious and meets us in our doubt and moves us along just like he did with Abraham and just like he did with Sarah. Would you embrace this God in your doubt knowing that he will move you and he will be honored in the midst of your doubt? When I was about 12 years old, my dad took me and my two brothers to see James Bond. I'd never seen a James Bond movie before, and this one was Live and Let Die, first one I've seen. I, I didn't know anything about Bond, but my dad said, oh, you'll like it. And so early in the movie, there's the, the bad guys are running a drug ring, and um, Bond, they take Bond out to the alligator farm in Florida, and they've got a little pier, and they leave him on a little piece of uh, just a little tiny thing of circumference of earth, and they pull the pier back, and he's out there, and all the alligators start to swim up. I think, man, this is going to be a short movie, because this is early in the movie. <laughs> I think, and he's got a couple of, um, they have some chicken that he's throwing to him, but, but this is looking bad, because they're moving up. 
And he's kind of looking around, and he looks to this side, and all of a sudden the alligators line up right in a row, and he steps across it, and he's, he's free. And I think, wow, that's amazing. Now, Bond, just leave. But he doesn't. At the alligator farm, there's a, a drug processing facility, so he goes in there and sets the thing on fire. Well, that makes the bad guys really, really mad. So they start a boat chase. And, and, and there are several times in the boat chase, I think he's not going to make it, but he does. And then at the end of the movie, they, they've trapped him. He's down in a Caribbean island, and they're really mad because he's causing a lot of problems. So they, they put him up on this thing, and, and they, they cut his arm. He's going to bleed to death, and there's a, a shark below in the water. So, I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is the end. This is not going to work. But they don't know that Q, who makes the special uh, things for him, has given him a magnetic watch. So he pushes that watch, and bing, here comes a bullet. And this is a special bullet that's got compressed air. And so it's got, a, it's got a thing that he can cut through his thing, and he goes in the water, and he uses his bullet, and the bad guy goes in, and he blows him up, and he stops him, and, and he saves the day. And I am stressed the whole movie. Because, I mean, this is dangerous. But it's entertaining enough. I went back. And, you know, it took me two or three movies into James Bond to realize, you know what? He's going to survive every circumstance. He's got a, a parachute in his backpack, or he's got a car that turns into a submarine when it goes in the water, and I can go on and on and on. Bond is bigger than any circumstance. Jesus Christ is bigger than any circumstance in your life. And it may take us a while to get there, like it did with me with James Bond. I needed a few, few, few movies. And, and you may need some life experience where I didn't think God could do it, and he did, and he showed up, and I... God's growing you through that. God's building your faith like he did with Abraham and like he did with Sarah. Would you embrace this God in your doubt that you can watch him grow you up? Because God works for his glory even in our doubt. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for this God who works in spite of us, in spite of our doubt. Lord, that we would grow like Abraham did and like Sarah did, to trust you and believe you and, and, and know that you are gracious even when we doubt and when we fail. And thank you for the example of Abraham, the father of our faith, quote, unquote, struggling with doubt, circumstance too big. Lord, grow us. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.